No, I don't have to discuss my feelings with anybody. I don't need any sort of therapy or anything like that. I'm in a, I'm in a good mood. It's been a while since I've been on because I've been so busy with, uh, with, with, with playing and working and stuff like that. So, you know, it's nice to be back. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining in. Hello, Demetrius. Hello, Nate. Likewise. Yeah, you, were off, you were off at the, what, the European Championships or what did you have? The seniors or what, what were you playing at? No, no, the European, the European Black Ball Championship. So baby ball, English pool. Yeah, I thought I'd give that a crack and see how that that went. And uh went okay. We did quite well. I think we were massively unlucky not to qualify for the knockout stages with the results that we had and the amount of points that we got, but just other results kind of went against us and it meant that we just missed out on on getting through the playoffs, which considering what a small country the Netherlands is as far as uh, English uh black ball goes, English eight ball, it's uh I think we did pretty well. Had a good time. How and, many players did you have on your team? Five. Team and of five. Of men, but we had, that was that was the men's A team, but we had a men's B team as well, which was seven players, and a seniors team, which was another five players. Yeah. Okay, and then how many of those players are transplants? On your out of your five, are what? Transplants. You're you're Dutch, but you're like you're Scottish, right? I'm the so I'm, of- I'm, I'm the I'm the only one that's originally. From a different country. The other four. Okay, are so the rest are all born, Dutch. born and bred, born and bred, not just not just Dutch, born and bred, but born and bred in this area of the Netherlands in Limburg. Okay. So, um, yeah. Okay, the, I mean, the only reason I ask is, I mean, it really seems like uh, what do you call it? baby balls? What do you call it? Yeah, I call it baby ball. Yeah. Oh, I've heard marbles too, right? I kind of like marbles. No, no, marbles. Yeah, you could call yeah. it a bit marbles, baby ball. I like yeah, marbles. Yeah. I'm gonna call it marbles. Uh, it, I mean, it really seems like marbles is strictly, pretty muchly like a, a UK type of game. I mean, I think they play it a little bit maybe in New Zealand. They might play it a little bit in uh, like um, India, but for the most part, like I mean, I guess British colonies. But like for the most part, I don't really see marbles played anywhere else in the world. Am I well, right or wrong on that? It is, it is primarily in the UK. Uh, the strong, the, you know, the, they all have strong teams. Ireland, Northern Ireland, Wales, England, Scotland, they all have strong teams. But you'd be surprised how massive it is, like absolutely massive in France, for example. Oh. France is huge, huge amount of players that they take to these uh, tournaments. So There's a massive game in France. Well, they have um, almost no pool players, so, I mean, maybe that makes sense. Well, I, I don't know why it is. It just is. It's big in Belgium as well. Um, um, I mean, if I go through the countries that, that are represented at the European Championships, I mean, you've got the, the home nation, so uh, the two islands, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales, France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Catalonia. So that small part of Spain, it's massive there, apparently just in that small area. So they have a team, Gibraltar. Obviously, there's a lot of expat community from the UK that lives in Gibraltar. So Gibraltar sure. has a team. Malta, massive in Malta. It's the main sport in Malta. I mean, these guys wow. are treated like, they're, they're treated like superstars kind of thing. The crowd that were there and the atmosphere that was made by the crowd whenever the Maltese... It was on. It was live on Maltese television, terrestrial television, which you don't get anywhere else for, for any pool, pool sport that it comes on TV. Just you're flicking through the television and you've got your your afternoon standard programs and all of a sudden there's the pool uh, on terrestrial TV. So that shows you how big it is in Malta. Um, so, you know, it's in certain parts of the world uh, and when the World Championships come around, the World Championships will be in Malta again next year. Um, and then, yes, Australia have a, uh, you know, it's quite big in Australia, South Africa, it's quite big as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's played by a lot of players. 
but not a lot of countries, probably. You could say that a huge amount of players, but not a huge amount of countries that are. And what's the what's the difference? Like, I haven't seen this game. Is it is it stripes and salads kind of a game? Is it played? No, what's red, the... it's uh, reds and yellows. Reds, reds and, and yellows. Yellow. Oh, I've seen. Okay, and then it's played on like a tight pocketed smaller table, or what? It's it, what I would say. What what I would liken it to is, is it's reds and yellows, slightly smaller than the balls that we're used to playing with, and it's a bar box table that's cut like a snooker table. Yeah, I think it's, I've a, seen it's, a, it's the best way to describe it. It's, okay, it's, I've seen it's, it's a bar. It's a, it's a bar box size. But the cut on the, the rails oh. is, is a snooker table. I thought that was I thought it was a six foot table. Is it is it a seven foot table? Seven foot, seven foot. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking it was a six foot table. Okay. It's a yeah. fun game. We play it every year at the the Moscone Cup. It's a yeah. you you'll be surprised how hard it is. Um, you know, Demetrius, you, you even like teach this. Uh, when you're cutting balls down the rail, you're not aiming for the pocket. You're aiming for like basically the rail connected to the pocket, right? Like right, you know, within within a couple inches of you know the the inside point of the jaw, if you're cutting a ball down the rail, because that's the center of the pocket uh, on a on a nine foot pool table. Uh, the center of the pocket is not the actual center of the pocket because you can hit sometimes, you know, especially on a valley pool table, you can hit two diamonds up the rail, no problem. It still falls pretty easily. So the center of the pocket can't be the pocket. It's got to be, you know, three, four, five inches up the rail. If you hit the rail at all going in on these tables, you will miss the ball. And it's it's a really weird thing to not aim for the basically the inside point shooting down a rail. It's It's really actually hard for a nine ball player to make that shot. Every, everything everything's played a little thinner, and also the 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 white ball, the cue ball, is slightly smaller than the the rest of the balls. Oh, weird. so when you're when you're playing a ball down the rail, and you're thinking, if I just contact the rail and the ball at the same time, that's generally how you aim a ball down the rail. If it's if it's frozen at the rail on on the game we normally play, if you do that, then you're missing every single time. So that's you've got cool. to. It's yeah. Well, what I found in uh, you know, I've played a bit of eight ball, and what I found is um. In general, like back when the IPT was around, you know, 20, almost 20 years ago, uh, we played a lot of big table eight ball. And, you know, eight ball is one of the few games that's probably a lot easier to play on a nine foot table than a seven foot table because you get a lot less congestion, a lot better spreads. And so that was always how I felt about it was like, oh, big table eight ball is really easy. Uh, and as long as you're playing with soft pockets and, uh, you know, template racks or the balls are breaking good, then yeah, eight ball on a big table can be easy. Uh, because of the lack of congestion. But then it can go the other way, which is I've played on some really, really tight nine-foot tables with really, where it's really demanding. And all of a sudden, it becomes so hard to pocket balls. Uh, that Not to say that I, I shouldn't, let me clarify, it's not that hard to pocket a ball, but it puts so much pressure on every shot that all of a sudden it can go full circle and it can become harder to play on a nine-foot table mm -hmm. with real snug pockets because you go into a breakout and you end up like a little bit over a ball with an off angle and all of a sudden you just can't make everything you shoot at anymore and it makes the game a lot harder. So whereas on a bar table, yeah, you've got congestion, but at least you know you're going to make everything you shoot at on a, on a seven-foot valley or something like that. So so it's like, val, val, you know, it goes like loose pocket at nine-foot table is the easiest bar tables in the middle and then like a tight pocket a nine foot table can actually be tougher so my my point is i understand what it's like to try to be dealing with clusters and problems and congestion while still knowing that every shot is tough and and i can only see that that would now you've got the worst of both worlds you got the tight pockets and the congestion uh i can see how challenging that could be it is a challenging game it's all i mean it's 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 even more about cue ball control than any of the other games because um even if you even if you get out of line on a on a bar box or on a nine foot table 
you've always got the option to, to to smash one round four rails or whatever and get back in line. You can't do that on these tables. You you, you just cannot get that kind of action no. out of the cue ball. You cannot. You can't rescue yourself. You can't hit. You you can't force balls into the pockets. They will just get spat out. So you really are you you really are very much dependent on your cue ball control in this game. Uh, and the, the top guys of the top guys that have a good cue ball, they make it look very very easy. And then when you try and play it yourself, you realise if you're just one inch out of line, you're dead. You know you can't do anything. Um, yeah. The other thing I really struggle with those uh, those tables is the side pockets. You're I mean the same way kind of when you're shooting down the rail on one of those. Uh, the marble tables is your design. I mean, on a nine foot table, I should say, uh, you, you, you're kind of conditioned to play the pocket, the, the rail going into the pocket and the, the side pockets, you kind of do the same thing. I mean, a lot of the times when I'm aiming, especially if it's a thinner angle into the side pocket, I'm actually aiming for the point. And it's, it's a very, uh, how do I, how do I put this? It's a very concrete thing to aim at. Cause you can see it. Mm -hmm. It's right there. But on those marble tables, like you're not aiming for the point. If you hit the point, you miss. You're actually aiming for the ledge of the table is, is what, I, what I've gathered. And Jim, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. But it's really hard to aim at something that you can't see. You're aiming at a ledge that you, you know is there, but you can't see it being there. It's very easy to you see a point. The, it's very hard to see a ledge. you got to aim at the black bits. Aim at the black bits. Aim at the rubber. If you're not aiming is at the rubber, it? well, the back, of the, the back of the pocket is generally suppose, a black yeah. piece of rubber. If you're not aiming at the black piece of rubber, you're not making it. Doesn't matter what pocket you're playing it into. I found I found that like especially on thinner angles, like those pros that are, like when I watch them play, like they hit those, they, they hit that ledge and the ball just like falls in and it's like it's always the right speed and it's like, and I try like I messed around with it a little bit and I played it um, the game we were playing scotch doubles uh, two years ago. What it was no what was it five years ago the the first year that we met Jim. And we were doing the scotch doubles with uh, Darren Appleton and uh, Chris Melling were there. And we were all playing like scotch doubles. And I missed a ball into the side pocket, hitting it exactly how I wanted to. And I, I kind of went over on a side table. I'm like, why did I miss that ball? And I kept on hitting it. And I, that's when I kind of realized you have to aim at a shelf. And the shelf is like super goofy. It's just mm -hmm. so tough. Yeah. Well, I'm just glad that, Jim, I'm just glad you're competing. I, I just – I – can't tell you enough. I think you're a great guy, but I love the way you play pool and I'm, you're just a hell of a player. And, you know, obviously we live in a world that's raining with, you know, 20 year olds from different, you know, all over <laughs> that play even better. I, I can accept fly, that fly for the old guys. <laughs> no, no, it's just, but, but that doesn't mean that you just, I really think that you've got just a beautiful, beautiful world-class artistic game of pool. You've got finesse, you've got power, you've got strategy, you've got rhythm. And uh, I've, I've enjoyed I'm a big fan of yours. And so I'm glad to see you get to some tournaments. That's all. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate Jim. That. See, I Nate, there, there is, see, see, some people can be nice, Nate. I think you suck. Everybody's like you. I think you suck. All the guys in the chat. Raymond. Raymond is in the chat. Good to see you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Hello, Crypto, Fred, Seth, Neil, Trevor, Raymond. Thank, thank you guys for tuning in for What's participating Raymond in the there? Chat. A bunch of... Wow, Raymond. Wow, it's obviously it's Jim, obviously getting close to my scorey cup. Jim, time. it's been a while. Here you go. Oh, the cat's ass. There we go. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> I thought you'd miss it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, anyways, all right. So now that I have company, um, let's jump into the Puerto Rico Open. Uh, what? Uh, I guess let's start with the the team event because that I don't know that seemed to be the most exciting. Um, what do you guys think of this format for it? I, I'll tell you what I've I've been very focused on a few other things and I was very minimal updates today. Even see I didn't follow it that closely, so I'll have to follow your guys's lead. 
Well, I guess the uh, format, the format, I guess, is uh, they do races to four. Um, it's combinations of singles and scotch doubles. And I mean, I, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm struggling to see a lot of um, uh, what, how do I put this? I'm struggling to see a lot of rhythm to how it's actually doing. For example, like the South Korea and Team Poland match. Um, Olivia played the first match. Wojtek played the second match. And then uh, Daniel Marcial played the third, fourth, and would have played the fifth match. So that seems kind of goofy to me, uh, according to the schedule, anyway. So that I mean, yeah, okay, but I don't. I think the the, the 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 Scotch doubles. There's only one name from each team in the Scotch doubles when they fill it out. One of those matches is Scotch doubles. It's just you don't see both names on it. I think. Got it. Was it was it just to be clear? Was it like 32 countries in a double elimination bracket, and then each match was two out of three, or like two sets with a shootout? What was the no, overall? They played, uh, they played. They played groups first, and then you had to qualify from a yep. round robin group, and then you got through to the last. Eight, I think. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there but was, the, uh, I mean, the I mean, people complain about the format, races to four and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I, I I don't. It'll suit some players more than it'll suit others. But if a tournament organizer turns and says, "This is a tournament. This is a format, and the winner will be the best team who played in this format," then that's just the format. Make it race to hundred or make it a race to three. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you have a winner and you have a load of people that didn't win and. Yeah. I mean, I, I see Dan, Dan. I mean, Dan Appleton was. He doesn't like the, the 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 shot clock and the shootout. I can understand that. In a shootout, when you're when you're you know you're shooting for your life, I don't think there should be a shot clock in a shootout. I mean, how much time can it take, and how much can it be delayed with a? I mean, certainly not thirty seconds. Turn around and say, "Listen, you've got a minute or a minute and a half to play your shot to set yourself up." That's fine, but I think a, a shootout shot clock is a bit. That's a bit going a bit too far, kind of thing. But the rest of it. That's the format. Go and play it. Get off to a good start. If you don't, you're going to get beat. Next one's on, and the winner will be the winner at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I I, I tend to agree. I think um, it's not like they didn't know the format coming in and that it sprung on them, right? So yeah. if you're act, and especially if it's coming from Darren because he lobbied for like months trying to get a team together for this, which is yeah. kind of funny. But um, no, nah, I mean, it is what it is, right? It's the format is the format, and it's you a- can't say it's not exciting. I mean, at least from the viewer's perspective, and I think it adds a level of pressure to the players that they don't get anywhere else. I mean, it's the shootout. It's like you're playing a hill-hill game four times over, sometimes more, right, if it goes to uh, Mm -hmm. extra shots like uh, the finals did. I don't think that you can have that level of excitement in any other sort of matchroom format. Now, I'm not saying that this is a better format, but I'm only talking specifically to the the shootout and how – it actually is pretty. I mean, I found myself. I watched the. Um, I ended up watching the uh, the final shootout back again later on, um, and I found my heart rate going up. Even though I already knew what was going to happen, I know who's making the shots, I know who's missing the shots, and I know mm-hmm. what the final score is. And I still, as I'm watching this, knowing what's happening, because I've already watched it once, my heart rate is still going up as I'm watching this. I mean, that's. I I think that that's unique to this style of format. So let me ask you this. If you had to be in a shootout, would you prefer to go first or second if you got the choice? Always first. Always Jim, first. I, first? I, I, yes. I want to be putting the pressure on my opponent. The, okay. the way I look at it is if you're going first, you can dictate the pressure that happens from the set. So if, if you miss yours, obviously that's your choice. It's not your choice, but I mean, that's, that's your option. But if you make that first ball, you're the one applying the pressure. You have the opportunity to apply the pressure to your opponent. If you go second, you're having the the pressure applied to you. And I and I 
to be honest with you, I'd rather I'd rather not know what my opponent's going to do. It, it shouldn't it shouldn't matter, right? But it I find that you can't help. We're human, right? We can't help but like give ourselves the opportunity to know what's happening. And it, it, if I know that my opponent just missed the opening shot against me and I'm going second, uh, you you just can't say that you're going to have the same level of pressure and the same level of focus on your shot when you know that it's there's no repercussion for missing it from there. They should they should uh they should have people do the shootout on different tables and not know what their opponent scored. That'd be anyway. Uh, I'm just forget it. Play it on the snooker tables where they have that big uh the big divider right in between the two tables. That's, that's <laughs> right. It should be like a mystery. They just keep shooting until sudden death format. Nobody knows anyway. You have to tell the crowd to shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Anyway, no, that's cool. No, that's that's... Jim, did you want to take on that question? Uh, what was the question? What, what about going first, first or second? second? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, you, I mean, if you lose the toss and your opponent decides, but if I, if I'm given the option, then I'll go first, uh, because I think it, it sends a message to your opponent that you're you're ready for it and you're not scared and you're not you're you're not going to react to what they're doing. You're just going to do your own thing, you know. Uh, I think by saying you're going first and you're not interested in what they're doing, you just I'm going to go down and I'm going to sh- shoot my shot and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be. I don't want to be reacting to what my opponent does. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, um, we didn't talk about who won. I guess uh, I don't think I did anyway. Team Germany wins in a shootout. Uh, not only shootout, a sudden death shootout, uh, where Pia Filler finishes the uh, the uh, the final the final pot. I guess for the win. Uh, I don't know. It was a pretty. It was a pretty great match from start to finish. Um, Pia loses 0-4 to uh, Chow, and then Moritz loses 4-3 uh, to uh, Kun Lin Wu, and then Joshua Filler and Pia Filler win 4-3 to stay alive on the hill to Chang Jung Lin and Chow, and then Josh Filler beats Chang Jung Lin, which we'll talk about a little bit more later, and then it goes to the shootout, uh, which Germany wins, yeah, which Germany wins 5-4. So, I don't know, I, I what... Um, I guess one thing I would like to see on this format, uh, only be, I guess going back to this because I just remembered this, you know, like in the singles, once you get to the certain part of the event, they do the race to three in the finals. And if it gets to three to three, that's when you do the shootout. And I, I like that little addition. I think that could be added to the team event too. But like Moscone Cup uh, opening opening match style where each player plays their opponent. What would you think about that? So like, Joshua Filler would play Cheng Jung Lin. The winner of that gets one point. Then it goes on to, well, I mean, I guess you kind of decide. I, um, but the women would always play the women, I guess, because that's kind of how this format is. Uh, the captain, you know, maybe maybe whoever um, whoever wins the flip gets to choose who plays first. And if Germany would have picked Pia Filler, then she would have had to play against Chow. And then uh, Taipei would have chose the next match, which would be probably, I don't know, I guess uh, – Chang Jung Lin and Joshua Filler, and then last would then be uh, Moritz Newhausen versus Wu Kun Lin, and then it just keeps going through until either one player gets to four or it gets to three three, and then the the shootout happens. What do you think about that? Don't care. No. The yeah, format I mean, is the format. Yeah, I think that I think that it makes sense what you're saying. You know, I don't really know that this, like, this is one of those things where sometimes they have reasoning that's not immediately obvious to me as far as, you know, why they make some of the choices they make. What you just described makes a lot of sense, but in the end, you know, 
I don't know. To me, I've got a I, I'm it's weird. Like to me, it's you know, one-on-one matches make sense. And so once you get into kind of like team rosters with doubles and different weird mixes, it's kind of like it's all kind of I'm not saying it's a circus show, but like it's all kind of off the rails as far as it's not traditional. It's not a traditional, you know, heads up match. So however the format is, it's gonna be a little bit a little bit weird. But what you just said makes sense. Like, that's how they do it in a lot of like league play and stuff like that. And uh but uh, as long as it, you know, if the players enjoy it, it works for the fans. I guess that's what that's what counts. Sure. Anything you want to expand upon, Jim, or just no, move on? I mean, uh, I've got nothing against. I mean, if the format's the format. Go and play it. Simple as that. And uh, be better than the other guys, and you'll and you and you'll win the tournament. Um, is there a perfect format for this kind of thing? There's no perfect format for anything because, I mean. Something we something we discussed before we came on. There's so many people that have uh, access to to social media and uh, access to, uh, uh, to to watching these matches that you're still going to get a huge amount of people that doesn't matter what the format is, they're going to think it's rubbish and they're going to tell everyone it's rubbish. And so yeah, it was just just do the format that you think is the best, and the players come and they play and see who wins. Simple as that. All right. Well, that uh, concludes this. This was actually a world championship too. So I guess uh, Joshua Filler. Adds a uh, world championship to his uh, resume. Moritz Neuhausen adds a world championship to his resume. I believe that's Moritz's second, uh, maybe third world championship. I think it's his third world championship. Uh, uh, and from the junior, juniors and stuff like that, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you have to, right? No. I mean, I mean, maybe you don't count it if that's the only world championship that you have, but now that Moritz has another one. Although this is, yeah. I mean, I guess it's a world championship, so you can't take it away from them. And then Pia, this is her first world championship, I believe. I don't think she got any as a junior. I'm pretty sure she didn't. Um, so, yeah, I guess let's move on to the, uh, the uh, what is this? What is the beer? This Medela Light Puerto Rico 10-ball open for the, the men and the women. So the men was won by uh, Conrad Ustishin. Over uh, Roland Garcia, bit of a goofy finals there, maybe. Uh, but obviously, both are phenomenal players. You wouldn't pick either one of them to make the finals, but you're not necessarily surprised that they do get there. Um, Conrad, Con, Con, Conrad, Conrad does that at least once a year, at least once or twice a year. Conrad yeah. just just beasts a tournament, like just destroys people, and he gets into that rhythm and that speed um, where just nobody can keep up with him. He has he has that gear, and it comes out maybe once or twice a year. And you just think if you could do that every single oh my goodness week yeah. or, every, or or at least once a month. I mean, um, and it's generally it's ten ball. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I can speak to that. I remember a couple of years ago at the U.S. Open, he beat me eleven to one in three innings. I had I had two innings, and uh, you know he ran. I mean, this is what they were racking the one on the spot with the template. To be fair, but he opened up with four. I got a shot. He scratched on the break, and I actually ran a rack and played a safety. I thought it was a good safety. He made some jump shot and ran six racks to go up 10-1 on a second turn. Then he uh, he missed the ball on the last rack and hooked me, and I kicked it, hit it, and left the shot. He ran out 11-1. I got two turns of the table. And I'm telling you, it was like watching uh, like one of those guys playing a video game, like speed running a video game. It looked like... I mean, it was like one of the highest gears I've ever seen. So it was. I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for him to break through. That's all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, he has that gear. He has that gear. Well, yeah. talking about dominating. I mean, going through his matches, he he played the opening match against Jason Cruz, a local Puerto Rican player, wins four zero four two. His next match, he plays against. Uh, 
see here. Alex Pagulain loses two to one. Uh, so he loses four to three, three to four, and then loses three to two. So I guess that went to uh, almost went to a shootout. Uh, and then he plays. Let's see here. Uh, Moritz Newhausen wins 2-0 uh, in sets and 4-1-4-0. Then he plays Jason Cruz again, ironically. Oh, no, never mind. I just went the wrong way. Then he plays Sullivan Clark wins 2-0 in sets, 4-1-4-2. Plays uh, Hayato... Hijikata, Japanese player, wins 4 1 in sets. Then he wins 2-0 in sets over Hajun Kwan, 2-0 in sets over Joshua, or, uh, Aloysius Yap, and then 2-0 in the finals. Jeez. So he, he loses to Alex Pagulayan and then doesn't drop a single set the rest of the tournament. That's... In a race to four, yeah. He, so he basically won, like, what? how many is that in row? Like 16 races to four in a row or something? A lot. <laughs> yeah. He beats Roland Garcia 4-2-4-1 in the finals. Beats Aloysius Yep 4-3-4-1. And he was down 3-0 in that first set. I, I watched that set from start to finish. He was down 3-0, and Aloysius looks like he was about to steamroll him, just like he's been steamrolling just about everybody for the last three months. Misses one ball, and Conrad just takes the set over. I mean, yeah, a great, yeah. great tournament for him. Love to see it. I lo- obviously I'm quite. Uh, Jim likes to pick on me. I-, I love all the Polish players. They're just nice people, and fierce competitors. Yep. Yeah, but it, right. I mean, brilliant result for him, and yeah, not surprised. Not surprised whatsoever when he get when he gets rolling, and that that kind of format it suits him. He's a fast starter. He gets straight into stroke. He doesn't need time. He's not a a yeah. diesel. As soon as he's on the table, he's on. And if he is on and he feels it himself, he can put racks together very, very, very quickly. And in that format, that's exactly what you need to do. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, so let's head over to lady side of thing. Kelly Fisher adds another title to her. Uh, I think she's got a few of them in her career. One or two, one or two good wins at this point. Couple. Yeah. Yeah. Beats uh, Wei Su Chen in the finals. Uh, Yasmin Ocean and uh, Chow are your semifinalists. Uh, and it's, you know, we, we, we had talked a lot about Kelly Fisher, especially towards the end of COVID where, you know, what is she going to look like once the Asian ladies come back? And really, really, it's not just Europeans and Americans. Is her dominance going to continue? And I mean, she had like a little cold stretch there where she didn't win an event for about three months. And now she's back to basically winning everything again. So, um, I, and I kind of wish I had, uh, I kind of wish I had, um, Mike on for this one because he's he's made the argument and he still holds fast to it that uh, Allison Fisher was the the better of the two of them. And while I don't I don't know that I necessarily disagree with that, I would like to ask him the question of how long is that going to last if Kelly continues to win like this? Is, is is there anything that Kelly could do to surpass Allison in his mind? I think that'd be an interesting question. I don't know. Yeah, Demetrius, yeah. You, you watched a lot of '90s pool. Jim, you did. Obviously, you know both of them quite well. Well, I think that the it's you. There's a big difference in that Kelly has been playing against higher levels of competition, 
And so, you know, she's been not only are the international women playing much better today than they were three years ago. It's not even close uh, in terms of like, you know, just the amount of competition and the levels of competition. But Kelly's also played in a lot of the open events, uh, you know, the matchroom events that are open. She's played. I mean, she was in the virtual tournaments you put on. And I remember when Predator had that, not Predator, when Matchroom had that tournament format that had like the groups, the like the flights where the one person would try to qualify. And then they had that weird rotation. I forget what that thing's called. But uh, anyway, she was playing in that. Uh, and, the Premier League pool. What is that Premier called? League. Premier League pool. Yeah. So she's anyway, the point is she's competing against top women. She's competing against top men. She's competing in all the biggest tournaments in the world. Um and, and, and at the highest levels of competition and and she's competing against regularly against players better than Allison got to really compete against. So, you know, if we want to play the game, like I, I think that it would be unlikely in my mind that Kelly's not playing better than Allison was. Uh, but, you know, to be fair, if Allison was playing against Alvin Ocean and, 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 and top, you know, Mario, he, you know, she might've been pushed to a higher level too. It's just that you can only get pushed so far by your competition. And Allison got to the top of the heap without necessarily having to go further than she did. So she got, she got to the top of the heap. She played great. She dominated women's pool, but now women's pool is just better. And, and Kelly's dominating that. I mean, it's the same, it's the same as turn around saying, you know, who's a better player, Earl Strickland or Joshua Filler. It's a very difficult question to answer because they're from different eras as well. In well, my Allison opinion, Kelly aren't. <laughs> I mean, I mean we, 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 I'm sorry. Allison and Kelly aren't from different eras. Oh well, well, no. When Allison exactly was, was in a prime, Kelly wasn't there. Correct, but I mean, there was enough that overlapped. Like Josh and yeah. I mean, Josh and Earl, nothing overlapped. You could say Earl yeah, can see, still right, play now. See, we, yeah, we, whatever. I mean, again, it's it's all opinions, and and we talk about yeah. who's the who's the greatest pool player of all time. Now, in my opinion. And this is just my opinion. I mean, everyone says the greatest pool player of all time. We talk about Strickland. We talk about Siegel. We talk about um, uh, um, Efren Reyes. Uh, in my opinion, the greatest pool player of all time is Joshua Filler because he's played pool at a level that nobody has ever played pool at, in and my still opinion. Pushing it forward. And he's still pushing forward. I've seen him play matches that nobody has ever been able to – nobody has done before. That For me, that makes him the greatest player to ever play the game. Because nobody in the history of pool has would be is able to match what Joshua Filler can do when he's playing his absolute A game. But we don't discuss Joshua Filler as the greatest of all time because there's more factors that go he's, into well, it. He's 24 years old, right? I mean, yeah, it doesn't I matter. Mean, it, it doesn't matter if he if he if he has played at a level that nobody else has ever played at. Does that not make him the greatest to ever play the game? No. That's yeah, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's almost he's, like he's, it's and almost that's like, been, yeah. It's like when well, you have chess. If you have the highest ELO rating of all time. You know, some seventeen-year-old could come along and hit some peak rating. You know, like or Magnus could be the first one to you know hit twenty-eight fifty or something, and it's like the highest rating of all time. He may not have even won a world championship yet, but he's already the highest-rated player of all time. So that doesn't necessarily mean you put him as the goat. But if you want to talk about who's played the highest technical level of chess of all time, you know, he's the first guy to get a rating over twenty-eight fifty or whatever. So it's like the same yeah. thing with filler. It's like you can't necessarily say he's the goat yet. Uh, you can talk about duration of career and level of competition, how well they dominated over their peers. And then that goes into questions about the format, you know, and, and how if the format is set to be super short sets, you might not see the same level of domination possible compared to why Willie Moscone was playing blocks of 7,500 points of straight pool. But in the end, if what you just want to talk about is the highest level of pool being played, 
I don't think there's any question that filler and I would, I, you know, I'm interested to hear that it's filler for you. I, I've always kind of thought that Federer was also playing really, really strong, but I, I consider those two guys like the, the highest level pool players that have ever lived. Yeah. See, and, and, and this I mean, is it. And he'll, do, he'll, do he'll you, really, well, Island, let me ask, let me ask you this. Says, filler, filler will never win five U.S. Opens. Again, that's not what nobody I'm will ever win five U.S. Opens again. Nobody will ever win five U.S. Opens because you don't get to rack your own anymore. Well, That's that, why nobody will win yeah. five US Opens anymore. That plus yeah. plus the level of competition now. Go and ask, now is... ask how he won five US Opens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that that is true. That is true. But also the level of competition. That's like the US Open was always a global tournament, ish. But now it's, I mean, it was always a U.S.-based competition that had international players. Now it's an international tournament that has U.S. players. And don't give me all the 500 levels that play in it, and that's the reason why we have 128 U.S.A. players. There are there are four U.S.A. players that are an actual threat to win that tournament, and that's being generous. It's not a U.S. Open. It's not a U.S. event that international players play in. It's an international event that U.S. players play in, and it yeah. never was that in the '90s and in the early 2000s. You know what? I I looked back, Nate. I looked back at 2005. That was my first U.S. Open, and I was just curious because I'm like, I knew that the tournament got tougher, but I couldn't really remember and quantify. If you go and it's on AZ Billiards, you know, money list, whatever, you can go back to the 2005 U.S. Open and look at the top 64 finishers, and you'll find like 50 American flags. Right now, that's you're not going like to have 50 U.S. flags in the last. You're not going to have 50 U.S. flags in the last 10 years combined. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to see. You might see. You know, you might not see five in the final 64, and that's a measurement of how much different the competition has gotten. Yeah. So, not only Jim brings up a great point with the racking format, but I'll tell you what else is that. You know, if 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 Filler got to play against the 2005 field year after year after year, he might win yeah. five. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the, like the only thing that I would say with the Joshua Filler thing, um, if, if you're going to say he's reached higher highs than anybody else has ever reached, uh, you're, you're basing that argument at least partially off of Fargo rate, which has existed since exactly 2013, 2014. No, no, I think Jim's basing no, it off no, the fact no, that he's doing I've watched him. I've watched him okay, play okay. consistent pool at a level that nobody else has ever played at. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't I'm necessarily. Not, do I'm not talking about how much, how much, how many tournaments you're winning, and I, how much. He just he has a level. Pool is all about levels. Pool is all about okay. levels, and he 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 is in a level band that nobody else is in. And that's okay, just so, let, so let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question: Has Joshua and, and this is just a discussion we're having because I think it's interesting discussion. Have you ever seen Joshua Filler dominate for a longer stretch than what FSR did, uh, starting Irrelevant. at the U.S. Open two years ago? And finishing irrelevant. That's not what I'm saying. Again, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he can play the game. He can play the game at a level that nobody else can play it at. And I'm not talking about. It doesn't matter if it's a period of time that he's doing it over, or if it's dominating, or if it's winning trophies. He can play the game. It's like turning. It's it's like running the one. I'm not arguing with what you're saying. I I, I know what you're you're saying. It's like running the 100 meters, and you you hold the world record, but you still but but. The other, yeah. ten, the, other ten, the other 10 races in the year, you lose, but you win one race and you hold the world record. You have done it quicker than anybody else in the whole of history okay. has done it. That's what Filler does. In my opinion, Filler is like the world record holder at 100 metres, but he doesn't win all the time. But he's still done it quicker than anybody else in history has okay. ever done. That, I'm, that is what I'm talking about, Filler. Yeah, it would be like if somebody ran a thousand balls in street pool, they might not win every tournament. They might not, you know, they might not dominate, you know, whatever. But but that doesn't mean that they can't 
that their straight pool performance high watermark is like higher than it's ever been. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is you're not saying that Joshua Filler is the greatest of all time. You're saying Joshua no, Filler I'm saying has been the best. The game at a level no yes. one else has. Okay, sure. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Honestly, and I, Hill, yeah, Hill, I, again, again, just to answer Hillbilly, it's not you I'm attacking. You just seem to be doing most of the stuff. Why won't he gamble? It's not him that won't gamble. Why will nobody gamble? Why will nobody call him out? Is the question you should be asking yourself. I mean, the only person that does is Tony, and it's got to be one pocket. Yeah. Exactly. I think most of the European is the only guy that would play filler at any game and it has to be one pocket. Nobody else will go near him. So it's not him that won't gamble. Nobody will call him out. He's ready. He'll play anybody. Well, there, there, no, 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 no. There was a stretch where Shane wanted to play him 10 ball uh, and Josh won't play. But I just don't think Josh is interested in gambling. I think when we when we look back at Josh, when he was actually gambling, he, I mean, he played that big set against James Aranis and he played that big set against Tony. And I think those were like three weeks apart. And if you look back at uh, that matchup, I mean, that was right during COVID where you can't go anywhere. I just don't think yeah, Josh he, is... He, in- I don't think Josh is interested in the money side of things as much as because no. he skipped out on the Hanoi Open. I mean, he skips out on a lot of events. He basically picks and chooses his events that he goes to every year. And I have to assume that it's because he's not interested in chasing around a, a, a paycheck. He's, he's interested in adding titles to his resume. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's it doesn't seem like he's driven by money. It seems like he's driven by accomplishments. And if you're but he's not, but he's also not, he's also not refusing. He's not refusing because he's not getting challenged. Nobody's asking him. Well, nobody's getting challenged. To be fair, though, I mean, there's 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 no events that are happening. The only event that's happening in the, what this year, basically, that I can think of, is, uh, and I'm sure I'm, I'm missing some, but uh, like uh, Reinhold and um, Oscar are about to play a big set. Can you guys name a single other gam- like big marquee gambling event that's happened this year? There's too many events. There's no time in the calendar sure. for them to do it. You should make sure yeah. that Oscar make sure that uh, Oscar has the money frozen up before they play. Ah, uh, nothing. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. I, I heard that Johnny Archer's putting the money up for him. <laughs> Come on! I was trying to be a little bit more nothing. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so no, but I, I mean, for the most part, I mean, gambling is a is a U.S. thing, and it's like it's not even a U.S. thing about against the top, like a amongst the top players it's a gambling thing about uh like amongst like the second tier type of players so, you know the chip comptons and the um the tony chohans and the you know the, the shane mcmahon's players like that 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 can't make a living strictly by tournament play at least not efficiently um it, it's i mean it's never been a thing with shane i mean shane plays when he plays but like he's he's never really been interested in gambling after you know, we we saw this in the the sixty minute documentaries. He's he's never been interested in gambling, and the only way he's really interested in gambling is if it is in a tournament style format where you play a race to X over three days, and you know whatever that is. Well, I mean, Sky Sky hasn't o- played a gamble. Go ahead. Yeah, back in 07 to all you know, two thousand eleven, Shane was gambling all the time. You know, he was you know, of course, with Alex, him and Alex would play every chance they get. But he would play Hennessy and he would play all these guys and give up spots. And he was always in action. I think he just people didn't want to play him anymore. Is kind of what happened. So yeah. But, but I mean, was- and, and, but the, the the European players, it's just not in their makeup. To, it's not something they grew up with. It's not something that they that was part of their. That's that part of growing their growing their career. They just don't do it, you know. They 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 all get told as they're coming through. You know, you've got to go to the Philippines and do your Filipino tour. You've got to go to the USA and do your US tour and get yourself into action. But then that's it. Once they've done it, it's not something they're really interested in doing in general. And you you have some players that will, you know. Well, it makes um, sense because in the US, you know, in the '60s, '70s, and even a little bit in the '80s, there was people that it was like 
Back in the 60s and 70s, there was road players. There was a lot of dead money in pool halls after the hustler came out. People were, the cost of travel was really, really cheap, gas and hotels. And there was a lot of dead money in the pool rooms. And road players could run around the road and pick up money at pool rooms and make a living just kind of running the roads and gambling. And then they would hustle up bankrolls and go into a big city and, and match up with a champion. And, and then they bet it all and win or lose and keep going and do it again. It was just like this road gambling. So, so what happened was all the players in the eighties and nineties and even two thousands, you know, they grew up with like the role models was kind of like these gunslingers that would sling from town to town and just put up the money and see who's best. And that was kind of like, that was the, the romantic idea of what it meant to be a pool player was to be, like a gunslinger. And, and so that's a kind of a hangover from that era. Well, I don't think that was really ever the scene in Europe. Was that ever, did you guys have like a big scene where in the seventies there was road players playing pool? So I just think that that was, that was a U.S. thing. And so the U S players grew up where the players that they looked up to used to be road players and came and used to be big gamblers. And so, so it's now we're seeing that evolve little bit by little bit. It's kind of faded away a little bit. Uh, and so now today's players are more homogenized, but, but I think that's why the U S has always kind of had that, had that, you know, like when Shane came on the scene, yeah, he was winning tournaments, but he was also like trying to establish that he could get in the ring and get down for the cash and all that stuff. So. But it's also, it's also that, that, that whole lifestyle, that whole pool lifestyle has is, is died off because it's been almost impossible to do that now because yeah, of you, social media. Everybody knows everybody. People has, you, you can't just go into a pool room and blast somebody and then the next night go the one round the corner and nobody know who, who you are. Yeah. Everybody knows all your matches are streamed. As soon as, you, as soon as you win a match against a certain level of player, your action is dead. Below yeah, that, 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 kind of, that hotels are 200 a night, gas is expensive, and, and, that, and, that, you know, and that there's not as much dead money in the pool halls and people don't lose as much as they – so, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, it doesn't help that, um, you know – you can literally grab your phone and say, hey, what's your name? Jim Telfer? Okay. Do, 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 do. Fargo rate. 710. All right. Yeah, I'm not playing you. <laughs> That's not as... I mean, I mean, right? I mean, you got to go and give fake names at that point in time. And, you know, that doesn't really work long term. It might work once or twice at a pool room. But, um, I mean, I don't know how many times I've gone to a pool room, you know, with how much I travel. Generally speaking, I try to go to a pool room and wherever I'm going, just just to kind of get the local flair, the local flavor of you know how pools played there. And I don't know how many times I've been like I, I've gone to Florida and I hit balls on a table and somebody comes up and says, uh, "Hey, you want to gamble?" Or "Okay, what's your name?" Uh, Fargo, right? Oh, you're 682. All right, I'm not playing you. I'm gonna go. Never mind. Or or you know what are you gonna spot me? Right? You know what are you gonna give me? You can you know do I get the breaks in the six out or something? I mean it's. It's too easy to find out who people are. Now I could lie about my name, obviously, but I mean, I'm recognizable enough and I have enough of a name that it, I, if I go around the country lying about my name, it's probably not going to turn into <laughs> good PR not, for me in the show, right? Yeah, not worth it. <laughs> no, not when I don't like gambling anyway. So, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Uh, what, what do we think? We want to wrap up our discussion. So, oh. so Kelly Fisher is a hell of a player, I think is what we decided. Well, this is this is oh, the, and this is listen, we talk, This is kind of the discussion that I wanted. Well, this is kind of the discussion I wanted to have with that. Where, like, uh, I don't, I don't know if you uh, pay attention to the NBA or anything like that, Jim. Um, basketball, but and I don't even think you do either, Demetrius. But um, it's to me, this is this this conversation is coming down to the MJ versus LeBron debate, where you know LeBron is so freaking good still in his twenty first season uh, that you it gets to the point where the people are starting to use the argument now. Well, maybe, maybe LeBron never reached the height 
that Michael Jordan did, but because his his duration of career was so long and so dominant for for that duration, it's hard not to give him the nod. And I, I feel like I wanted to have this discussion with uh, Pinozo just to basically say like, all right, well, if Kelly is still winning at this level, and, and, and it's hard to say because actually Allison is winning a decent amount of events too. So maybe, you know, that's the argument that he gives back. But um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's at what point in time does the duration, even if Kelly never reached the high that Allison did, at what point in time do you give longevity um, a nod on, I guess, the GOAT the, the, debate? So here's, here's my problem is I think that when it comes to comparing players, you've got like, you know, you can talk longevity, you can talk highest gear, you can talk titles, you can talk about domination over their peers, and you can talk about their actual technical level of play, and then you can talk about adjusting it for equipment and competition levels over the years and formats and all this stuff. And there's so many different ways you can weight those things that in the end, you could just decide who you want to win your little comparison and then weight the things that they're strong in until yeah, they yeah, win. Yeah. It's almost like if you compare two pieces of art and you're like, well, which piece of art is the better piece of art? It's like, well, if you decide you want that one to win, you could just find reasons. It's like yeah, I, I think you, you, comparing competitors at the, at some point, especially especially across eras, when they it, it it's 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 almost like very 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 subjective and i don't think that i think that people that look at it like there's some clear-cut scientific formula to figure out who's better because they want to know who's best it's like it just doesn't really lend itself to that man there's always going to be room for interpretation and if there wasn't there wouldn't be such a wide you know diversity of opinion yeah i mean and it depends what your question is if you're asking who who was the better player that's a different question from who was the greatest player you know because the, again, the better player has got nothing to do with how long you were playing for. The best players. Was your top game better than her top game at any stage in their career? Then you're a better. Then you were a better pool player. Simple the best that. player is Joshua Fillard. The greatest player is. I, I don't know whoever whoever I guess I, I guess. Well, for I'll, me I'll, I'll, we 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 have this conversation in twenty years. There will not be, in my opinion, unless you know. There will be a group again. There will be a group again, and it's it's all about if you're in the conversation, then you're you're happy, you know. And there will be there'll be another there will be another group of three players. Yeah. Nobody talks be, about Oscar Robertson anymore. It won't be if Efren Errol will not be in that group of players that are talked about in twenty years' time as the greatest to ever play the game. Yep. We'll have forgotten about him just like we've forgotten about. Well, no, we won't have Russell, forgotten about him. Will Chamberlain, Oscar Robertson. No, Pedoza will still be there representing Pedoza. Pedoza. That's true. Pedoza will still Let me tell you about Luther Lasseter. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. All right. Uh, okay. Well, uh, we, I want to have a spicy conversation because I think it's just fun. Uh, but before we do that, so we, we got a great conversation coming at the end of this break, but we're going to do a little ad break because we got to keep those sponsors happy. So I want to give a shout out quick to Who's Jacoby sponsor? Custom Cues. That's because nobody likes you, Jim. Jacoby Custom Cues, check out this sweet ad.
Does that just relax you so well? So great. I love the comment though. It's great. Anyway, uh, uh, no, that's that's cool, man. I appreciate their sponsorship. You know, not only do they make great cues, but they support they support pool. Uh, so there you go. Yep. The rest of the sponsors we have. The rest of the sponsors down there. All of the other sponsors. Horo Tips, Onboard Sportswear, Digital Pool, Salado, Billiards Digest, Insight Performance Coaching. And starting next week, we are actually going to be adding two more full-time, well, not full-time sponsors, uh, one full-time sponsor in uh, uh, Lippman Lights. And uh, Michael was in here earlier, said hi. So if you're still here, what's going on? Uh, I'm actually replacing the cloth on my table right now. So I haven't been able to take a picture and fully announce it properly. But uh, Lippman Lights, thank you so much for your sponsorship. And we have a new sponsor, an outside industry sponsor that's going to be starting next week, which is Rolex. a great sponsor. Magic Mind. It is a magic mushroom drink. <laughs> so we're going to be talking yeah. about that. So <laughs> Do, do do you take do you take that before you before you shave yourself with the manscape or uh, yeah this is gonna be this is gonna be our next manscape ad no no magic <laughs> Mind, no no actually like all joking aside like I'm actually kind of interested about this because it's like a little energy shot it's like a two ounce energy shot but it's made with all natural ingredients it's like a bunch of like uh, tree roots and uh, some mushrooms and I got I got I'm gonna got to put some research into this but uh, it's an all natural okay. energy drink so you don't get the jitteriness of coffee or anything like that so I'm pretty excited for that so we're that's going to start next week. We're going to we're going to be telling you all about that a little bit more. But Magic Mind is coming on board. We always love outside money in the industry. We don't have I'm, enough I'm, of it I'm and very, we need to get I'm, some more. I'm open minded. If you need a guinea pig, Magic Mind, I'll tell you. Yeah, well, well I'm, not taking, it the- I, I'm not taking it because I get random t- uh, drug tests at work. But we had a similar thing over here in Europe. I don't know if it made it to the States or not uh, a few years ago called Czechio. And this was supposed to be this uh, all-natural drink that was helped you with your concentration, and all the players were drinking this. It was disgusting. It was it was horrible, and drinking this drink during their matches and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, that that pretty much, that quickly disappeared. So let's hope that uh, Magic Mind is a, a little bit of a better form of uh, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I'll know more next week when I when I uh, get all the proper stuff. So. If, uh, if, if, if Nate turns up on the show next week and all his hair's falling out and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop it. Stop it. Stop it, you. All right. We also want to give a shout out uh, to our Patreons that allow us to continue to uh, do this. Uh, you know who you are, but if you don't know who you are, then you are. Hillbilly, it's bring your own. It's bring your own. Bring your you own shoes. <laughs> all right we got um ben young double dave cues dave wearsma uh we got mo bashir bill pelham chris henry and cody wedding and ed ladawi so thank you all for uh supporting the podcast oh and matt poland too sorry missed you thank you all for supporting us and let's move on to our spicy topic which is not racist i don't think I don't think this is racist. How can it be racist? Uh, I think it's funny. So backstory, and I don't know that this is true, but pre-Facebook, obviously, I don't think that anybody got worked up over little things. Somebody saw something on ESPN, maybe. And Demetrius, you've been on AZ Billiards a heck of a lot longer than I have. In fact, I really don't even use it all that much. Was the outrage machine ever uh, 
there in let's say mass quantities? Not 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 like today. Not like today. Yeah. So, and and this is kind of the discussion I want to have is when whenever something controversial, quote unquote controversial, happens on Facebook or in in a match or in a tournament somewhere, Facebook just blows up like for two days and there's always so many people that argue i don't even understand how some of these things can be argued both ways but they are and the latest one is of course the chang jung lin foul where he sets the cue ball down on the table moves it up a little bit with the shaft it gets slowing down and he wants it to go a little bit farther so he pokes it with his tip forward uh i guess before we even jump into this jim foul or not foul foul demetrius foul or not foul yeah, it's a foul. I'm surprised that a top player would would. I mean, I remember from at the age of 13, I remember being you know trained to always maneuver the cue ball with the side of my shaft because it could be called a foul. And I don't know. I guess it's just, maybe that's just not how they do it in China. And you know, yeah. So the, the so this is the thing, right? Uh, there's no question it's a foul. Now you can argue whether or not you want to be a nit about calling it, but the player never called it. John Lehman called it, and John Lehman is does. John Lehman is paid to follow the rule book, not the, well, is it really a foul if he did it? He wasn't trying to shoot, right? His job is to follow the rule book. Everyone knows it's a foul. Now, you can say it's a nit for doing it, but it's not like Joshua Fillers, and Joshua Filler was very happy to take the foul, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't really matter whether or not it was a foul because it was. So then the question becomes, the only thing that you can discuss is should he have taken it? Well, no, he should have given it back to him because he knows he wasn't trying to shoot that shot. Why is, why is Facebook so stupid? Why, why does everybody have to take a side and just argue it to, to death's end, even though they're wrong and they have to be wrong and they have to know that they're wrong. And the only way that they can even potentially make an argument on these things is by saying, well, sportsmanship, Anytime I hear sportsmanship start from like your argument, I just instantly tune it out. It's just so dumb from there. Why does everything have to be so dumb? Why can't we just accept that the rules are the rules and you have to play it that way? Yeah, it would be like if the referee looked at him when he was getting ready to shoot the nine and said, ah, that's good. <laughs> you know, it's like, what is. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Jim, what do you think? Um, right, okay, well, first of all, it's a foul. So the referee has made the right call. Now, let's look at it in another sport. Pool is not a professional sport, yeah? We, we want it to be a professional sport. Now, have you ever seen in another sport, any other sport, the referee give a penalty, whatever, uh, playing uh, football or a penalty playing soccer or in any other sport, the referee turn around and, and, and call a foul or whatever, and the player who is, in, who, who is getting the foul turns around and says, yeah, but he didn't mean that, so it's, not, it's fine. It never happens. It doesn't happen. It doesn't matter if you mean it or not. A shirt foul, you don't mean to make a shirt foul either, but it's your own stupid fault if you haven't touched a shirt in and it's hanging on top of a ball, you know? Now, he's made a foul. The referee's called a foul. The rule says it's a foul. Filler, why do anybody suggests that it's unsportsmanship for Filler to take that foul is an idiot. The only thing, the only thing, sportsmanship is play within the rules and play fairly. That is sportsmanship. Sportsmanship doesn't go as far as do your opponent a favor when he's fucked up. That's well, it not goes to like It, 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 it kind of goes to like the Shane Van Boning letting, letting um, uh, Joey Tate shoot uh, the Joey Tate, yeah, Joey Tate yeah, shoot the wrong It's his responsibility, and Shane just said, okay, fine. 
We saw that when, uh, when that woman player uh, took the balls out of the pocket while the cue ball was still rolling and that nine ball Christine match. Christine exactly. It happens all the time, yeah. It's unfortunate that it happens, and it's but it's your own fault. I, I'm sitting in my seat, and you do that. I haven't made you do that. I yeah. haven't done and it's not my responsibility to fix I your mistake. I've not done anything that's influenced your decision to make that stupid mistake that you shouldn't be making. It's your own fault. Tough. Yeah, I, had I, it a, I had it in a match. I played I played in a match, and my opponent thought that I fouled. So I played my shot, and he didn't realize that – or he got mixed up whether I had the halves or the solids. I played a solid as a safety. He thought I fouled. He came to the table and just picked up the white ball. And everybody that was – that was there, saw him going to do it. No, 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 no. But he picked it up and put it in his hand, and I was playing in a team match. And I thought, oh, what are you doing, you idiot? You know? Yeah. And it's like, well, that's ball in hand for me. Yep. And I turned around, I was playing a team match, and I turned around to my team and said, oh, what do I do here? And they said, you take the foul. I'm like, all right, I take the foul. So I took, and then the other team are going, oh, you can't take that. He's just made a stupid mistake, and that's not right. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do about it? I mean, he's... <laughs> He's picked the ball up. Do you want me just to place it back on the table and let him continue when he's made a stupid mistake himself? I didn't do anything wrong. He didn't say, is that a foul? And I said, yes, it is. And then he picked the ball up and went, oh, no, it's not. Ha ha, ball in hand for me. He made a stupid mistake himself. It's his own fault. Yeah, there's there's only one way to do it. And that is that this is the only way it could work. And if people really understood this and thought it through, is the rules have to be enforced consistently. And, exactly. and, and and people have to follow the penalties consistently. And once it kind of comes into like, we have, we're going to have wavy, wishy-washy rules. And sometimes we're going to be more formal. And sometimes we're going to be less formal. And sometimes we're going to penalize. And sometimes we're not. Now there is going to be room for debate about, well, we were playing in a gentlemanly format and you used a more professional ruling and, and that's not cool. So it's like, it's going to, if you want to minimize, there's always going to be controversy, but if you're going to minimize that controversy, the best way to do it is, very, very clear-cut rules that are very consistently enforced, and that's it. And that's and that's the only way to play it. Otherwise, it just gets worse. But what you will notice, if you go through all the comments on Facebook about this foul and all the reactions that have come out, none of them are, for, are from professional pool players. They're all from amateur players who think that who are used to playing in an amateur env environment where that's not acceptable behavior as far as they're concerned. You don't do that. You don't call a foul on somebody for doing that, you know. But sure, this is professional sure. pool. This is professional pool. How many of the other professional players have come up and said he shouldn't have taken the foul? Zero. This is what professional sport is. You play by the rules. If you don't play by the rule and you make a mistake, whether it's an honest mistake or not, or sorry, but this is a professional sport now, and you're going to get penalized for these mistakes. Simple. What I would have liked to have seen, or what I, I, I wish I knew Chang Jung Lin a little bit better, or I, I don't even think he speaks much for English at all. But uh, I wish I knew him a little bit better. I would like to, I would like to hear what he has to say about it, whether or not he thinks that he should have been called a foul on or not. I, I have to assume that. I have to assume that he watched the video at this point in time, probably a couple mm -hmm. times, and it's not close. I mean, he absolutely pushes it forward with his cue, and, and and not only did he do it, not only did he do it with the, this tip, he actually he moved it forward as if it was a shooting motion. I mean, I know he that moved, like he, a, he moved it, he moved he moved it forward in the line to the ball he was going to be playing as well. It well, wasn't like you know he's he's actually pushed it towards. I mean, yeah. 
It's obviously he's not play, he's obviously not playing a shot. I mean that's but the rule the rule is not playing a shot. The rule is using the tip of your cue to move the cue ball in a forward motion towards Big no no. That's a foul. But I think that to Nate's point, you know, this was more of an example of a bigger picture, which is how controversial. We've brought up a lot of them since, right? I mean, we've talked about the Joey Tone. We've talked about Christina's Lateva. That, yeah, I mean, that's a broader point. So go ahead, Demetrius. Yeah. So here's here's what I think, and and I've thought a lot about. There's a this has been on my mind lately, and I wanted to kind of run it past you guys, see what you think. Um, you know, Derby last year. We had over 500 players. We get 500 players, whatever. Last year was the first year I could barely get in. Like the sign up was full. I had to get on a waiting list. Now, in, in 25 years or 30 years, however long they've been running it, you've always been able to show up Thursday night, wait through the line, and pay at the door. You've always, they've always had room. It's like a bottomless pit of entries. And all of a sudden, nope, sold out. We're full waiting list. And I was like, wow, it was a major shock to me that I almost got shot out of Derby last year. So I did get signed up this year. Currently for January's Turning Stone, I'm on the waiting list. I'm not in. I'm on the waiting list. I didn't get into the one in August for Turning Stone. And so I've noticed that over the last year or two, uh, U.S. Open, gosh, if you're not refreshing the stream, like at midnight or whatever, it's 8 a.m. or whatever minutes. it is, like Five you don't minutes. get in. Yeah. And so I've thought about why this is going on. Like what is going on? And I've and there's also been a big surge with, with social media pool, uh, even with, you know, my boot camps are going well, whatever. And I think what I've realized is, I'm not sure. I don't really measure the statistics about like how many people play pool worldwide. But here's what my gut is telling me is that if you had a metric to measure, forget about like the serious pool, like the guys that are watching and listening to this podcast. Uh, these guys are like serious pool enthusiasts. So you've always had a few professionals and a, and a small circle of like serious pool players. But then the vast, vast majority of the people that played pool we're just like recreational players playing in APA leagues that don't really pay any attention to like, you know, the inner circle. And if the metric was this, what percentage of recreational players follow the top players or like watch some YouTube videos on instruction or watch Matchroom or Predator or YouTube and know who the world champion is. Like if you went back to 1999, walked into a pool room and asked, you know, your, your local league guys at a bar who Ref and Reyes was like, nobody would know. But I think today, I, I think that the percentage of people that have paid attention to like what's going on in pool, because all it takes now that we have YouTube and Facebook, all it takes is one of these recreational players to just one day, be like, you know, I wonder what pool looks like at the professional level or what the world champion looks like. And they just type it into a search bar and watch, watch a video. And next thing you know, they're watching Matchroom events and Dr. Dave and little Chris. So it's like, I think that like for me. And the queue it up podcast. And so, and so for me, it seems like it went from like maybe 5% of recreational players followed to some extent, you know, international pool to maybe now it might be as high as 20, 30, 40, 50%. So what I think we've seen is we've seen a surge not just in the numbers of people playing, but there's just these tens of thousands of recreational players that are now tuning in and watching how pool looks at the highest levels and getting involved in the conversation. And I know that consequence for me has been, uh, you know, I'm a pool coach, whatever. Uh, the number of people that have reached out to me that were recreational players that are now serious about the game and want to get better at the game has just surged. And I think that's, I think that's what we've seen. And I think that we've seen it because of the availability from YouTube, uh, Facebook, from just from the Internet in general. And so I think that that's I think that that's what's creating such an engine of growth 
in the pool sport is the engagement level from the recreational players. What do you guys think? Well, what I'm what I'm hearing you say is uh, the more people that are going to get involved with the game, the more stupid people there are. Are you are you insinuating that pool players are stupider than uh, the average population? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I am. Okay, I agree. <laughs> I mean, wow. you see some of the. Con- I swear to God, you see some of these matchroom forums that the things that people say, the things that people are like arguing for. I mean, these are not very bright bulbs, and maybe the stupidest ones are just the loudest ones. But there are a lot of really, really you know, stupid statements and discussions, I, and you know, you know what, you know what I find, you know what I find funny, and what I find funny and quite irritating is what. Dimitri just turned around and said, it's so easy to go on to your computer and just type in something and you'll get the information. The amount of people that go on to these matchroom forums and start spouting off stuff and you think, if you would have just taken the time to Google this first, you wouldn't be making an absolute tit of yourself by letting everybody else know how clueless you are actually about the sport and how ridiculous your question or your comment actually is. You know? I mean... There was, there was one guy on there. There was one guy on there the other day, complaining that it was disrespectful that um, at the the world at the the uh, Puerto Rico Open that they weren't using the American flag for beside Fedor's name, and they found that disrespectful. All you simply need to do is just do a little bit of investigation and realize it's a WPA event. The rules are different for change of nationality and as far as WPA go he's not American as simple as that you know it's only Maxim that recognize him American and he's going was, on there yeah. and he's moaning about it. it's disrespectful and it's and he's getting all upset and it's like oh there was another discussion in uh in my my Facebook group in uh in my state asking why Margaret Fafalova wasn't playing under the U.S. flag on Team USA exactly that kind of it's, stuff it's the same thing I mean uh, she's not a U.S. citizen right. uh and Matchroom, the only reason Fedor is playing with Team USA is because Matchroom decided to change a rule that was in place for X amount of years under the WPA that uh, basically allowed Fedor to be able to play for the U.S. Uh, that rule doesn't exist for WPA sanctioned events. So, and it's going to Margaret, be, and it's going to be. I mean, this is something that, that, that I was going to bring up as well. Later. But that's a real. I mean, that's at least a, a kind of a real question. I mean, that's a hard thing to Google, but yeah, but I mean, that's why. You can still Google the, the rules, for, but I mean, you got. I mean, I, yeah, no, it just baffles me some of the stuff. But I mean, it's going to be quite interesting to see because I'm assuming that the World Championship is going to happen before the first of March, and it will still be run by Matchroom, but it will be WPA sanctioned, uh, probably the last one. What flag does Fedor then get? Because the WPA sanctioned it and say he can't be American, but he gets ranking points for the American. Moscone Cup team for next year, and I'm going to go I out on the limits. I'm going to go out on the limits. What would you guys think of having the uh, the WPA and Matchroom each represent somebody from their board, and then they play like a race to five, and just sort this out? Can Carl count as Matchroom? I was going <laughs> to say, who, did, who have the WPA got? Well, I think I think Matchroom. <laughs> I, 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 I think I think is part of the board of directors for Matchroom, according to them. So maybe he could. No, <laughs> I reckon Emily would be favorite against the majority of them. But I'm here, guessing that uh, to answer a, here's your a question scenario for you. Here's a scenario for you, right? First of March comes around, <laughs> and before that time, the WPA and Matchroom finally get together and they sort this out. 
And the WPA says, says to Matchroom, okay, you know what? We will give you sole ownership of the nine ball rankings. The only nine ball ranking will be your ranking. And Matchroom say, brilliant. Okay, then we will sanction now sanction all our events with the WPA like we always have done. Brilliant. Does that then mean that Fedor plays for USA this year, but then next year he has to go back to Europe again because the WPA rules on changing nationality means that he can't be American yet? <laughs> uh, well, no, well, I don't think so because, like, by then he well, I, I think it goes no. based on. No, oh, hold on, hold on, because I think. I think what the WPA rule is, isn't the rule that if you play, like you could be dual citizenship and you could play for a country, but once you play for that country, it's four years until you play for another country. Isn't that, nope. isn't that how it goes? No, nope. you have to be inactive for three years in WPA events. That's the rule. Well, if you want to change, yeah, yeah, na yeah, if you sure, want to change sure. nationality, you can change nationality. Sure. But you are not allowed to represent that nationality for what, a period of three sure. years. But what event has what event has Fader played in that is a he's WPA just played in the, he's just played in the WPA Puerto Rico Open. Oh. Okay. Yeah, fair. So then well then he shouldn't be able to play in the Moscone Cup at all this year. If that but No, it's not the Moscone Cup's not sanctioned by the WPA. Uh Yes, but yes, but by the by the by the prize fund part of it, it would. I I don't know. It it, it gets kind of goofy, right? Because the prize fund part. Yeah, of it, I mean, uh, it's, it's a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, violence, yeah. assuming that the, assuming that the WPA sanctioned uh, the World Championships uh, before March well, the first. To be he honest with you, he, he, he wouldn't be allowed to have an American flag at, by his well, At the, at this point, at this point, well, I I think to answer your question from earlier, I think uh, if if your uh, if your statement is true, where this is the last event sanctioned with the WPA. Uh, I think Matchroom probably sticks a, you know, a, a nice sharp stick in their eye and puts an American flag next to Fedor's name just, just to spite them on the way out the door because what does it matter? For the World Championships, you mean? Yeah, it could be. Yeah. could be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what, what is the WPA going to do? Say, oh, you had a, a flag next to the wrong player. Uh, I guess we're pulling the WPA sanctioning from this and uh, – Congratulations, Joshua Phil. You're no longer a uh, a world nine ball champion this year. I mean, it's not like they're yeah. going to do that, right? Yeah, no, I, I just I was just saying, is, does does that scenario exist that they come together and say, you know what, let's work together again? We've sorted out our differences before March first. WPA, you can sanction all our events. What what happens to federal well, national? Yeah, oh yeah. I, because I think at this point based, in time. On, based on WPA rulings, he's not American. Yeah. He's still a neutral athlete. He's Russian or a neutral athlete. And not only athlete, is he not an American, he can't be an American player, right? He can't be an American either. So I'm guessing what they'll end. Up, so I'm guessing what they'll end up doing is just saying, "All right, well, Fedor, you're gonna have to go back to that white flag, but you can still play in the World Cup of Pool. You can still play in the Moscone Cup because we're not gonna sanction those with the WP anyways." Uh, going forward, so like not this year, but the well, next. Moscone, year. Moscone, Moscone Cup was always was always up until recently sanctioned by the WPA so I assume it will be sanctioned by the WPA again I'm get well sure I'm but I'm guessing I'm guessing if that's the case I'm sure Matram is just going to say all right well these we're going to negotiate that we're not going to sanction the World Cup of pool and we're not going to sanction the uh the Moscone Cup with the WPA because I mean if there's two events that don't really need to be sanctioned with the WPA I mean that's kind of it right so they'll just say, "All right, well, we're not," and then you can have Fader play wherever you want. The only the only difference is whenever he, he plays in the European Open or the UK Open, he has to have a white flag against his name instead of a US flag. 
that's I mean I'm, I'm guessing that's probably it, 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 was just, it was just something that went through my head thinking well that's a that's a series of events that that, that could get quite complicated yeah but yeah but I don't know I mean it's it's all speculation right yeah yeah there's, I'm sure they'll. I'm sure there'll be something that's uh, into their uh, if if and when they ever get a a treaty in place. I'm sure that'll be something that it's discussed. Because it's what? not just Fedor. It's Christina Takach. It's potentially Margaret Fefalova. It's it's um, uh, potentially Torsten Holman, Mika Imanen, Darren Appleton. Yeah, but if 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 they though, if they if they were going to do it, they'd have done it already. Well, they just had the opportunity starting now. Matchroom just changed the rule. How, how do we know that? How do we know that Hoven Bustamante isn't going to yeah, actually they, try to the make the Moscone is, Cup next team? Yeah, but the thing is year. that the, the, the likes of Mika and Torsten and all those guys—they've lived in America long enough that they could have they could have applied for their their, their citizenship years sure, and sure, years sure. and years ago if they really wanted to do it, and they would have had it by now. Yeah, but at the same time, when they were doing that, they were also live to make the the European Moscone Cup any any given year, so they didn't really have to worry about it. None of those players are ever going to make the Moscone Cup ever again, unless something weird happens, right? Yeah. Maybe, but but every single one of them probably. I mean, you wouldn't take. Would you? Who would you take? Shane Wolford or Mika Imanen? Shane Wolford or Torsten Holman? Shane Wolford or Darren Appleton? I mean, I mean, th- I think you'd be a little silly not to take any of those players over Shane at this point in his career. Not that Shane isn't on his way up, but just this year, I mean, you'd have taken probably all three of them over. I don't know, just a thought. I mean, we'll find out, but I don't know. Demetrius loves the Moscone Cup talk, so I'm, I'm well, sure I he's just, uh, just enjoying this. You know, I, you guys, you know, you, it's it's interesting. I, I've been I've been kind of hung up on this kind of like kind of the conversation about like the trend of social media. I liked uh, Matt Poland's comment about how uh, fans arguing on social media is good for the sport. And it's, and it's about, you know, so, but, but the kind of the question is where has all this drama come from? And I think that, I think that, you know, there's, it's human nature combined with social media. We've seen this, you know, in all walks of life, you know, where people and people like to crusade for causes and get riled up about stuff. It's a nice pastime. So we've got the right platforms with social media and, so that's number one. Number two, we've got a huge increase of players that are following pool. Number three, we've got everything is on YouTube. So the amount of pool that's being viewed is higher so that the number of these incidents that can be observed by people has gone up. So we've got more people watching more pool with a means to communicate about it in a setup that encourages kind of the worst in human nature. So you put all that together. It's not surprising that you're going to see a lot of fireworks. What I think is a more, you know, what I think I've been interested in, and it's a little bit of a different question, but we've seen the tournament start filling up, like I said, with Derby and Turning Stone. We've seen the U.S. Open. Uh, we've seen so much demand. So, like, and the reason, I've seen it, because all those people who come and train with me are serious amateurs. And, like, in the chat, I've seen people saying, this is my first year, I'm going to Derby, I can't wait. There are many, 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 many players that are like, Hey man, I want to get to Derby. I want to get to Derby. Uh, Dave O'Keefe, a buddy of mine, he's uh, he's in the chat here, and uh, he's this is his first year. He's going to Derby, and it's like all of a sudden this used to be like some big pro event that was kind of like, of course, amateurs played, but it was like a small inner circle event. Now more and more people put it on their you know hit list item. I want to get there sometime, and now you've got thousands of players that are like, I want to get to Derby sometime. And so my point is, as that happens, you know, I talked to Jesse Engel about it. Here's what Jesse thinks is going to happen. He thinks that that's going to create a huge amount of demand to have a lot more tournaments 
that are national level in the U.S. and and, and around the area, kind of like the, not like the Texas Open exactly, but in between matchroom and regional pool. And that as that happens, he actually think it might evolve into a minor league where people that are like Shane McMahon and Chip Compton might actually have a chance of making a, a small living because you've got the major league, the international scene, whether it's Predator, whether it's, you know, Matchroom, whatever. And then you've got like this minor league where you've got so many tournaments that the top players can't go to all of them. And then guys can go to those tournaments and do okay because the demand is there for more tournaments. So more tournaments will have to appear out of the woodwork. And as they do, the top players are going to have to make choices about where their time is best served. And anyway, I think it's an interesting time in our sport. And I think that that all, all this growth and evolution is internet. And, and what that's done is, change the platform in which we can communicate, but also has brought way more recreational players of the game. And that's created this huge surge of growth. And I think the game is changing rapidly as far as uh, how that looks. So, I mean, that's what I find interesting about it all. Yeah. So it, it, it is a knock on effect. Um, you know, if, if, if a proper professional tour is, is created like Matchroom is doing and they fill up 40 weeks of the year, then of course these players who are playing in all these they, they, they can't go to all the other tournaments and sort of pick up the extra two thousand three thousand just because they've got a free weekend because they don't have free weekends so that money then goes to other players and other players of a lower level see that they have more opportunity to cash in these tournaments because the, the top dogs are not going to be there then of course it's more incentive for them to go and play them and then there's more of a the, the, there's more demand for these tournaments. It's just a knock-on effect, and, and and everything goes up. Once you take these top elite players and take them out of the big pool, you know, at the moment we're all in the same pond. Once you take those big fish out and put them in their own pool, all of a sudden the people, the, the, the rest of the pond think, oh, this is a lot more comfortable. This is a lot more, you know, my kind of thing and, and my kind of level. I mean, it's a lot like the PGA that's, Tour. That's, that's, that's professional sport. Tour. That's professional sport. I don't believe that a player of my level should be allowed to play in these tournaments. You know, I like that there's the Open tournaments, the US Open, the European Open, the UK Open. It's great because I get the opportunity to put my name in, maybe I get a game. But I'm not a level that I should be playing in top professional tournaments. These guys should be out of reach for, 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 for players of, 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 of my level. I should be playing in amateur tournaments at the level that I'm playing in, you know, and I'm a high-level high amateur and that's where I belong. These guys, the superstars of the game should be the superstars of the game and they should be kept away from, you know, us mere mortals who just run the occasional rack kind of thing. Well, you know? or, 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 if the, or if you are playing in these events, it's because you won a series of qualifiers that got you a guaranteed spot into it. Like Exactly. Like, You've earned yeah. it. You haven't, just be, you haven't just been that guy who you haven't refreshed, paid 500, you haven't paid 500 refreshed at the right moment and boom, I've got a spot kind of thing. That and I think, that's, I think that's the way it's going to go. I mean, I do think that... There's got to be, I mean, you know, like you said, Matchroom is going to get to the spot where they've got a full, you know, the, the international players, the, the true professional full-time players are going to have a full calendar. And mm -hmm. it's not going to, it's going to be a little bit more segregated from the national level tournaments um, to where, you know, tournaments like in the U.S., like the Turning Stone of the Texas Open and, 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 and a number of other events that are good tournaments, but not international events. Um we might, we might, and we're going to probably see a lot more. I mean, look at the Texas Open was a great example that filled up months in advance too. So if all these national level tournaments are filling up months in advance, and then there's going to have to be more of them, and eventually you're going to have, like Jim says, you're going to have 40 weekends of international pool keeping the top well, pros busy, and then eventually you're going to have, you know, 
eventually I think you're going to see a bit a better tournament scene on the amateur level uh, that's at the semi-pro level. And I, I think it's, I think it's kind of interesting to see how there might create more of a path for, for, you know, aspiring players to move up the ranks, you know? Well, I, th- I think we got to get to a point eventually where it's, these events are not just open events that you can sign up for by pressing a button, refresh at the right time. I mean, it's, it's got to well, get to the point where it is like the world pool championships or the, yeah, yeah. The world pool championships where you, you get an invite or you don't play. I mean, that's, that's think, the only, think, that's the only way that you can get into them. I think where, where, where it ends up going is you, you end up with a, it's a proper professional tour and there's 128, let's, let's say 128 players. They have the tour card for that year and they are, they will get to, the 128 will, will automatically be in the world championships or the 256 fields you're automatically in. Uh, if you want to get into uh, the, 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 the mass or something like that, then you have to be higher up the rank. And there's maybe a tournament that's, that's only for, uh, uh, the top 64 on the ranking. There's a tournament that's a 128 tournament, and 64 are, get automatic and yeah, disqualifying for the sure. other places. That that'll be kind of thing. So there'll be an incentive for you to not just get into the 128, but then to move up to the past the 72 or past the 64. You know, so that, that it opens up more doors for you for other tournaments, and the, the tournaments will be then graded based on you know. If you're in, if you're in the top eight, you're in all tournaments. If you're in the top sixteen, you're probably in all tournaments. You know, but the sixty-four and above, you'll get some tournaments. Others, you're going to have to qualify for. You know, and incentivize every single group of players in that one twenty-eight and above to the two fifty-six. Incentivize you to go a step further and go into the next group and the next group where you'll be getting invitations to more stuff. You know, I think that's yeah. uh, I see that the way that that being the way it's going and that. That, I mean, we're, well, we're getting way, to the point. You get rewarded. You get more and more rewarded for for what you uh, for what you achieve. You know. Yeah. Well, we're getting to the point. We're, yeah. we're getting to the point where, like, and I, and I hate to pick on this player, but this was the, like the player that got kind of, you know kind of super famous because he drew uh, Judd Trump what two years ago. We're getting to the point where a, a Joe McGee should not be playing in a U.S. Open. There are enough touring professionals and enough players that want to play in these things. Uh, you know. I mean, all the way down to like a Sullivan Clark from like uh, New Zealand. He's been playing a lot of events the last like five, six years. Or, uh, wow. The last like uh, five to six months, even all the way back to a year, year and a half. And there are a lot of players like that that are giving a go at it and trying to do this at a professional level to where every Joe McGee that plays in this event is one less Sullivan Clark that can't, that can't live out their dreams at one of the biggest events of the year all because somebody wants to play against potentially the best player in the world. And, and, and there is, there is something to that. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say like the guy shouldn't have an opportunity to, you know, get in the box and play those players, but at some point in time, he should not have the opportunity. I mean, well, yeah, I think you, that- can't, you can't just go play on Augusta. I mean, you can't do that. I mean, you actually have to earn your way there. And I think that we have to get to that just for the professional side of pool. I think I we will. Think- it's still very, very early and very, very fresh. We we will get to that stage. We'll get to the yeah. stage that you are not getting into one of these tournaments on a on a on a 560, 650 Fargo. You're just not getting yeah. in. You you got zero chance. Simple yeah. as that. You know. Yeah, I think that it's a new problem, and I think it's a new problem for the reasons I talked about. And that uh, you know, so so that it will evolve, and it will evolve quickly. And I'm interested to see the changes both at the international level and at that semi-pro level. Uh, I just wanted to answer too to Ryan's question. Uh, I'm I am playing all the events. I'm going solo. I'm not sure about the other two guys you mentioned, uh, but Derby would be one of the tournaments that I would not consider to be a pro level only tournament. I, I think that Derby should always be you know. 
uh, the kind of like the national level open to, to, to amateurs to compete with semi-pros to compete with the pros that want to play. Uh, so I think that turning stone and Texas open and, and Derby and all these things, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of tournaments and there will be more, I think there'll be more like that, that become, you know, good, good tournaments for amateurs to go to and, uh, and, and pros, you know, semi-pros to go to. I just think that it's going to, you know, I think that we're talking about like the U.S. Open and some of these uh, some of these national international events are the ones that might be evolving towards pro only. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my, my match from are creating the, the World Nine Ball Tour is a professional tour, so it should only really be professional players that are in there. You commit yourself to the game, you commit yourself to being professional and you qualify. It's as simple as that. If they want to let amateurs play in these tournaments, then start the tournament three days early and let the amateurs come and let the best 16 amateurs get 16 spots in the tournament and then. The rest of the, the pros come and join the tournament on the Wednesday. You've already played Monday, Tuesday to get your spot to play with them on the Wednesday. Yeah. I like that idea. And then and then you can and then you can open up to potentially six hundred amateurs if you wanted to. You can have as let many those, as you want. And yeah, think, think, about, think, about, play down. think about the think, think about the extra money that goes into the tournament with all these amateurs fighting for these uh, spots. Yeah, sure. No, I, I like that. I don't know. Uh, Matt Cole is saying there, with a tour card notion, it will be exactly that, a tour card. You will, you will earn your tour card. It has to be, right? It has to be. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, you can't just go golf Augusta because you have $100,000 in your wallet and you want to give it to Augusta. you got to earn your way onto Augusta. I mean, for every, you know, for, for every hacker that's out there at uh, the U.S. Open in pool, uh, that doesn't exist in golf. I mean, you you don't just happen to make your way on there as a as an eighteen handicap. I mean, that just doesn't work. And I think it just has to. I mean, it, but I mean, I think we're also getting there too. So, um, but I also love the idea of like opening up the amateurs. You know, you don't want to you want to have five hundred amateurs and they they're all playing for sixteen spots. You're there two yeah. days early. I I love that idea. Let's 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 yeah, let, let's uh, see this. I mean, uh, you, give you the amateurs. You go to Augusta, you, you get you get the Masters or the US or whatever. You've always got the the like the the top five amateurs are, are invited to play as well. You know the amateur champion, the US amateur champion, the European amateur champion. They're, they're all invited to go and play. Do something, yeah. That that works in any sport, you know. But they've earned their right to play there. They haven't just they haven't just been lucky and gone on their computer at the right time. And oh, there's a spot yeah. for me. I'll take it. Five hundred dollars. I mean, you. That's not the way. It, yeah, and and you can't make three balls in a row in those conditions. Exactly. I mean, I, I go play on those. I go play on those tables as like, I know I know you're considering yourself a top amateur player, I guess, Jim. But in the U in Europe, maybe you are a top amateur. In the U.S., like I'm borderline a top amateur, and I can't play on those tables. I mean, they're 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 just tough. I mean, if you've never played on four inch pockets, well, uh, yeah. the the I mean, U.S. Open was absolutely brutal, and I saw it all the way to the highest levels of the players that you can think of were were. Up until the last few matches, when people were really in stroke and really dialed in and at the top of their game, but if you even in the even in the final sixty-four, I was watching ringside as top Euro players were selling out from the seven ball, three ball runs five six times in a row, like ball in hand on the seven ball, missing eight balls, missing nine balls, shaking their head confused as to what was going on. It was ridiculously difficult. Um, yeah, very very tough. This but it has but that's. Again, it's professional sport. There has to be a difference, you know. Yeah. It's uh, it's 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 simple as that. You can't. It's got to be tough. You've got to you've got to make this game tough for these top guys. Otherwise, it's just, you know, you you'll never separate the, the you'll never separate the good from the great unless you make it tough. 
if you set the bar where the game is played, the the, the 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 level of the game means that there's 300 players who can run tables, you're not getting the best of the best. You need to make you need to make the game difficult enough so that it's only the elite players that can really play it to a high level. Yeah, and, and then, I, then you have a professional sport. I agree. It was really really fun to watch players play and not know if they were going to run out just because the balls were open. Like they still, they, they, they could run out. They were still the favorite to run out. You expected them to have a good chance, but you know that at any moment, if they just hit one ball a little rough, it could hang up. And the pressure yeah. that that adds to them, I'm a hundred percent with you, Jim. I think that for the international players, as good as the players are playing today and as many good players as they are, if we can make the game a little, yeah, I like it. I just, yeah. It sorts out the men from the boys. At the moment, pool's getting played in pool halls with, with these four-and-a-half-inch pockets. It's like playing tennis on a court that's the size of a football pitch with a net that's a, the height of a table tennis net. That's basically what that's basically what playing in your local pool hall is. That's not tough enough for top players. Yeah. Simple. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, what do you guys think? Is that a good discussion for the day? Yeah, I've got to wrap up myself. I've got to go pick up my daughter from school in a minute here, so I – that's where I have to bow out. So if you guys yeah. want to continue, you may, but. I think we've upset enough people, have we? Have we, we didn't yeah. upset anybody. Maybe Pinozo. <laughs> oh, it's fun, guys. I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Uh, really cool. Yeah, thanks for, all, thanks for all the stuff in the chat. It was good fun. Yeah. yeah good to have you two back. Hopefully uh, it's not another six months before we see you again. Nah, we'll, we'll be back. Oh, yeah. Ed Ladali just tuned in. Here, we're right, right, let's get out Ed Ladali just tuned in. Ed. Ed, we right. give you one. We give you one question, and we'll give you five minutes. You've got what? Ed, give us something to talk about, and we'll do just for Ed. Just encore. For you, because, we'll do a little encore for Ed. Ed. My battery's on. Ed Ladawi. This is what happens when you become. This is what happens when you become a Patreon. We we do stuff like this. So Matt Poland and Ed Ladawi, two of the last three, two of the last three people, at, and actually Brett Snowden is a, I think, a Patreon too. If not, he yeah, was in the past. I'm pretty sure he still is. So his question is, what did I miss? I'm gonna go with the nine ball on the hill when I was watching you play that not nothing. Okay. Oh I'm just kidding. I have no idea. Does Ed, does Ed miss balls? I can't imagine Ed miss balls. <laughs> what Ed I says he'll just watch. Well, we're finished now, Ed. Patreon for life. Make the pros yep. play on 10 foots with four-inch pockets. I think we should right, make well, it. I think, I'll tell you what. Here's what I think. I think before the pros play their match to just toughen it up for everybody, they should have to have some of the uh, the magic mushroom stuff and then uh, and then let them go to work. You know, anybody can – listen, anybody can play pool when they're not on a spirit quest. But I want to see – It's going to make you even better. It's the level of – you, you, know you know what's just happened? Ed's just tuned in, missed – pretty much the entirety of the show, and then you jump in and start talking about magic mushrooms. He's completely That's confused now. He has no idea what's yeah, going yeah. on. <laughs> well, I want, to, I want to try this energy supplement, but I, I got to say it's a little bit of a, you know, is it false advertising when they when they get your hopes up like that and then it just turns out that it's like all natural ingredient? Nothing. Well, well, I'll send you some, Demetrius. You can try it out. Okay, I will. I'll let you once know. I get the, once I get the samples, we'll, uh, we'll let you try it out. All right. <laughs> Now I'm now I'm making the executive decision. We're getting out of here. All right. Thank Sounds you everybody good, for tuning in. Thanks, Thanks for tuning in, guys. Guys, see you later.